0: I know many of y'all are blessed. Most of y'all are blessed that I did decide to come out of uh, uh, Amos this morning for a message that was more appropriate to Father's Day. But hear me carefully. I looked. All right. I looked. Was there anything? You know, could I could I take this and rip it completely out of context? And and I wouldn't do that to you because. Uh, obviously, our goal here is to learn how to accurately divide the word of truth. Today is Father's Day, obviously. You know, one of the things I'm excited about, obviously, uh, because of our schedule today, it just didn't work out. Adam wasn't able to be with us, but he's going to come over uh, next weekend. We're excited about that, excited about getting to uh, spend a little time with him and, and just fellowship with him and have a good time. And so on. on Father's Day, you know, I'm always reminded, uh, I hadn't been here very long in 1992, okay, and, and on a Father's Day, I was preaching my little heart out, and, and I remember at one point I said, I'm not a father yet, and then I went on to share with y'all whatever my point was. The next Sunday, I got up in the pulpit, and I began to uh, uh, preach my sermon. I said, beloved, before we get going, I I, I need to make a confession to all of you. And everybody starts looking like, oh, my gosh, you know. And I said, I stood in this pulpit last week and lied to y'all. And everybody's going, what did he do? And I said, I stood up here and lied to y'all. And I said, we found out this week that Angie's pregnant. I am a father. Okay, we are pro-life. We believe life begins at the moment of conception. Amen. And so uh, we had found out that she was pregnant that week, and and little did we know that in, in just a little over five months, uh, uh, we we were actually going to be able to lay eyes on on our baby boy, and uh, and and he just means the world, to Angie and I. We thank you all that that uh, that you have been a part of his life as as long as he's been alive. Anyway, listen, Dad. This is not one of those sermons where I'm just going to say, here's all the stuff you're doing wrong, okay? What I want us to do is to learn the things that we as dads, not just as dads, but we as, as, as Christians, need to do. The, the life that God calls us to live. And listen, beloved, it is a glorious life. It's not a life of rules and regulations. Do, do you know the last time I thought about a rule or regulation? I don't know. 30, 40 years ago? I don't have to think about it. I don't have to think about it because the Word of God has so captivated my mind and captivated my heart that I bow my knees before God the Father and God shows me the kind of life that He wants me to live. Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 21 in honor the reading of God's Word, let's stand. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much. We do come this morning to bow our knees before you. We love you so much, Lord, and we offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer. In and through the name of our risen Lord and Master, Jesus, who is the Christ? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, America is very quickly becoming a fatherless society. Just in my lifetime, I was born in 1959. The nuclear family was the was was the picture that we saw. I I, I knew very few people as a young child. Even uh, in, in the few years that I spent in Memphis, I, I knew very few boys or girls that didn't have a father. Fatherlessness is is pandemic in our society. Statistics show us that 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 70% of all adolescent patients in drug and alcohol treatments uh, originate from homes without fathers. Children without fathers at home are nine times more likely to drop out of school and represent 90% of all homeless and runaway children. And children without a father in the home are five times more likely to live in poverty. Listen, beloved, we live in a society that cannot decide what a woman is. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's is the sermon about that, but we live in a society that cannot determine what a woman is. But they know very well what a man is and they don't like it. They do not want godly men. They do not do not want the kind of men that Paul is describing in our text this morning. And brothers, let me talk to you for a minute. Brothers, God is calling us to be those kind of men. God is calling us to be godly men. God is calling us to be filled up with the fullness of God. God is calling us to move out into our families and beyond in love. And that's exactly what Paul wants us to do. They're wondering where I am and how I'm going to get through this in six minutes. God calls us to be strengthened with power through His Spirit. Listen, let let, If I want you to take this one thing away. This is not something that I'm asking you to do because you can't. You can't do it. You cannot be strengthened by His Spirit in your own strength. It is, as Paul says in verse 14, when we bow our knees before the Father, that the Holy Spirit then is set free to run loose in our lives and tell us and show us what He wants us to do. Now, Paul opens with, with, for this reason. Now, obviously, if I began a passage or, or a letter with, for this reason, your question is going to be, What is he talking about? What reason? What is the for this reason that he's talking about? Well, Ephesians, just like all of Paul's letters, is divided into two sections. Fancy name for the first section is the paranetic section. It is the teaching section. It is where Paul gives you the what, okay? He says, here's what God wants you to know. And then in the second section of that letter, he gives you the so what. He says, here's the teaching in these chapters, and here's how you take that teaching, and you put it into practice in your own life and ministry. Now, Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, and this is not a church that was facing a major theological problem at the time. All right? The church at Ephesus had a good pastor. Who was it? Paul's son in the faith, Timothy. And so Paul is writing to encourage these believers because they lived in an idolatrous and pagan society. Listen, beloved, we live in an idolatrous and pagan society. We live in a society that will tolerate us believing anything but in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so Paul has laid out in this letter, and in verses 8 through 12, we see Paul's call to ministry. He gives to us how it is that God called him to be in the ministry. And so Paul has laid all of this out. He says, I am the very least of the saints. And this grace was given. It was given. And do you understand what he's saying? When he says to preach to the Gentiles. You know, Nick and I in Melcher, in Guatemala, we went to Guatemala on Friday. Nick and I were walking down the street together. you got to walk up this long hill, and it's always better to, you know, now the way I'll tell it is we had to walk uphill both ways. In the snow. In Guatemala. With a 115 degree heat index. But we were walking down to, to go back across the border, and Nick and I were talking, and And these two Guatemalans went past us on a motorcycle. And my Spanish isn't real good, but but I could tell by the look on their face and the word gringo that they were not praying God's blessing on us. Okay? Same thing with Paul. When Paul was a Jew of Jews, he tells us in other places. And for Paul to be called to preach to the Gentiles, that's pretty big. That's huge. To preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. The unfathomable riches of Christ. Do you understand? Do you understand? Paul had been trying to do it his way all of his life. He'd been trying to get to God by, by keeping rules and regulations and doing this and not doing that. And then all of a sudden, he got saved. He got genuinely saved. And his mind is just going, Wow! I had no idea this is what you wanted, God. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that in the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, Satan, we're coming for you. Okay? Not today, Satan, is what he's saying. We are coming for you. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness. Listen to me, beloved. Do you understand what Paul is saying? He's not saying I have boldness. He says we have boldness. If you have tasted of the unfathomable riches of Jesus, then you have boldness and you have confident access through faith in Him. When Adam was little, I could always tell when he wanted something. He'd come and he'd say, Daddy, uh, I love you. <laughs> Do you understand that that's the way that we can approach Father God? Abba, I love you. Can I pour out my heart to you? And the Father just goes, Come up here on my lap. Rest your head on my chest and cry it all out to me. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart in my tribulations. He says, listen, guys, you know I'm in jail. You know, it's probably not going to turn out well, but you know what? I'm having a glory spell over here. God is doing a great work in and through my ministry over here. And God and Paul doesn't want them to get discouraged. I said all of that to say this. In chapter 2, Paul tells us that we have been made alive in Christ. Did you hear what I just said? We have been made alive in Christ. Then why in the world are we walking around like a bunch of zombies? Why in the world are we walking around like a bunch of dead people? We are made alive in Jesus. Do you understand, do you understand beloved, that those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior are more alive than the, than the most alive person you can imagine? We are made alive in Jesus. In fact, Paul tells us that at the moment of conversion, the old me died. Died, was dead and buried, went away. And I have been raised a new creation in Jesus Christ. Never again to die. You can't get much more alive than that, beloved. I have been made alive in Christ. And for that reason, Paul went to his knees before the Father. He went to his knees before the Father. Now, listen. The normal way that you prayed in that day was with your hands raised. They weren't Baptist. That's another sermon. But Paul says, I'm going to show honor and glory to God by going to my knees in front of him. And then he says, from whom every family is named. Paul shows that his mind is taken with the essential unity of the body of Christ. You know, the week we were in Belize, we ministered alongside Mr. Santiago and Mr. Marlin and Mr. Benji. I had these men in my Bible school class and they had a hunger for the Word of God. They had a hunger for the Word of God. They love their church just as much as we love ours. They love the Lord Jesus Christ, and I love the essential unity of the body of Christ, just like Paul did. Verses 16 through 19. We'll bring this thing in real quickly. In the Western world, because of the so-called Enlightenment, we believe that we are, in essence, a body that happens to contain a soul. But that's not biblical theology. Biblical theology is that you are a soul that happens to be contained by a physical body. How do I know that? Genesis 1, and 27. Let us make God in our own image. Listen, beloved, you all think God is as good-looking as I am? God doesn't have a body. Jesus told us that. And so when God says that He's going to make us in His image, it must mean something other than our body. Does that make sense? See, God is interested in our souls. We are a soul that happens to be enclosed in a body. Now, let me ask you a question. Somebody that is particularly effective at evangelism—what do we call him? A person winner, right? No, we call him a soul winner. A soul winner. Isn't that one of the greatest things somebody could call you is to be—is to call you a soul winner? Amen. And so Paul understands that we are a soul, and that our soul is more real than our physical body and listen beloved this is where we need to be strong this is where we need to be strong you may not be able to pick up a five pound barbell but you can have a soul that is literally on fire for the risen christ that is out there ministering his love and his grace we ought to be paying attention to the growth and development of our souls and do you see how much Paul asked God to give to us? Look at this. Get your mind around this. He says that he, that he would grant you according to the riches of His glory. If you came and asked me for money, bless your heart. But if you went and asked Scott Niswonger for some money, is there a difference there? if you went and asked Elon Musk or Bill Gates for some money, is there a difference there? Yes, there is. And Paul says that he is asking that God would pour out the riches of His glory. Remember uh, the story of the widow in Luke 21.4? Jesus says, listen, this woman is blessed because everybody else came into church and they dropped into the plate just like another song from Matthew West. you remember that one? I put a 20 in the plate, but I never give till it hurts. Okay? Oh, I'm meddling now, aren't I? But Jesus says this woman is different because she didn't drop in what she had left. She put in everything she had. Romans 8.32 Paul puts it to us this way. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Beloved, if God didn't spare Jesus then what makes us think that God is not going to flood us with the riches of His grace? Ephesians one eighteen and 19. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working God Of the strength of His might. Do you see the work that God wants to do in our lives? What is the purpose of all of this? Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. This word dwell. Okay. There's two words in Greek that could have been used here. One of them means to live there temporarily. All right. The other one means to come in and take up permanent residence. Oh, boy. This is our goal, so that Christ may take up permanent residence in our hearts. That's what God is after. He wants Jesus to settle down in our hearts and not just visit as a stranger. And then he talks about the width and and, and we'll bring it in for a landing. Do you see what he's saying? He says the love of Jesus has width. You can see how wide a river is by seeing how much ground it covers. God's river of love is so wide that it covers my sin and it covers every circumstance of my life so that all things work together for good. Did you hear what I said? Not just the things we think are good. God says all things work together for good. The love of Jesus has a length. When considering the length of God's love, ask yourself the question, when did the love of God start toward me? Well, let me give you a clue. It started before Genesis 1.1. Philippians 2, 7 and 8 tells us that the love of Jesus has depth. He emptied Himself, taking the form of a bond servant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. That's the depth of Jesus' love. And the love of Jesus has height. The love of God lifts us to heavenly places. And so, can we really comprehend the width and the length and the depth and the height of God's love? To come to any understanding of God's love, we have to come to the cross. The cross pointed in four ways. Essentially in every direction. Because God's love is wide enough to include every person. God's love is long enough to last through all eternity. God's love is deep enough to reach the worst sinner. And God's love is high enough to take us to heaven. And in verse 19, and to know. This isn't something we guess about. This is something that we can know. Paul asked God to fill these Christians up to all the fullness of God. He wanted them to experience life in Jesus, the fullness of God, and to be filled to capacity with Jesus. When we allow God to do this in our lives, then we come to the point, we are giving Him all of the glory forever and ever. And that dance, that man, is how we live our lives before our children. And for a watching world. Let us all pray and ask God to fill us with the riches of his grace. And then live that out in front of a watching world.